We are experiencing, no we're not. Thought we were experiencing technical difficulties, but we are not. Appreciate uh, all the work that was done yesterday. They're changing some stuff around on our uh, board back there, new computers and that kind of stuff, so we're working out a few bugs with all the bugs. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Michael, for the reading this morning. We read it with verb, verb, I like that, passion, energy. That was our reading this morning, but we're, uh, our text this morning is Matthew chapter 16. If you want to be turning your Bibles there, our text is coming out of Matthew chapter 16. And this morning we need a little bit of a history lesson. Context is always so very important as we study. It is so easy uh, to take a verse or a couple of verses and take them out of context. So we're always wanting to know uh, how these verses fit into the verses before and the verses after and maybe the whole chapter and, and then the whole book and then obviously the whole Bible. Um, so context is always so important. But sometimes there is a geographical context that we need to know to help us understand a passage. And few other places in Scripture will geography play such an important role as our text today. So, Caesarea Philippi. You see that up here on, on the screen this morning. There was a reason that Jesus brought his disciples uh, to this place. Uh, it was totally forbidden for the Jews to go to Caesarea Philippi. Herod the Great, um, his son Philip, had rebuilt it, and he named it after Caesar, Caesarea, and he also named it after himself. I mean, why not? If you're going to rebuild a city... Uh, name it after yourself. So he named it after Caesar and himself, Caesarea Philippi. There in the city, um, you'll see here on the map, Caesarea Philippi is, is um, up here to the right where the arrow is pointing. Is, is pointing. It was a very impressive uh, Greco-Roman city near a huge spring uh, that came out of the mouth of a cave. It was one of three different tributaries that all fed into each other and became the Jordan River. Um, at the foothills of Mount Hermon, you can see uh, Mount Hermon is the highest uh, mountain, uh, mountain there in Israel, and um, Caesarea Philippi is right there at the foot of it. Uh, a massive earthquake in about 1000 A.D. Uh, occurred in this area, and the water, at the time of Jesus, flew out of uh, the cave that we saw there at the beginning. This big mouth of this cave, the river actually flowed out of that um, about 1,000 years uh, A.D. Uh, an earthquake shifted that, and so if you go there today, the water doesn't come out of the cave. It flows actually a little bit uh, south of that cave today. So Caesarea Philippi had long been associated with with intense evil, with worship of false gods uh, for many years. The Baals, uh, you hear that often, especially in the Old Testament, that they worshiped 
the Baals. Um, they had carved up in the rocks there at Caesarea Philippi uh, these little insets. And, and in here they would have different statues of, of the false gods that they worshipped. And mostly uh, they worshipped uh, the god Pan there at Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Pan was um, a Greek god that was supposed to be half human, this half goat-like creature. Um, among other things that he was that was attributed to Pan was uh, fertility, uh, so that they would worship uh, him. They thought he had to do with uh, their women having babies and also how well their crops did. Uh, they would come and at the mouth of that cave that you saw where the water would come out, they would uh, at times uh, make sacrifices. They would, would throw a goat into that stream um, to sacrifice. And then there were also times when they would bring a child. They would have human sacrifices to the God, this God Pan, this false God, that they thought would help them um, with fertility and also help them with their crops. Uh, this is the sanctuary of Pan. This is how it would have looked like in the day of Jesus. Um, it became known as Panias. Today it is, is known as Banias or Banias, a very large Roman city with lots of, lots of infrastructure. But during Jesus' time, uh, there would have been five main areas of worship to these false gods. You see there at the cave entrance, right in front of that, there was a temple built to um, Augustus, Caesar Augustus, where they would worship. Then there was the court of Pan, where that they would, uh, would um, make their sacrifices and worship of Pan. The temple of Zeus, um, many of the Greeks um, thought Zeus was the beginning of, of everything. They, they had a temple uh, dedicated to Zeus, over here to the right, an upper tomb temple to the dancing goat, and then a lower tomb temple to the dancing goat. It was a worldwide gathering place for idol worship. Um, I will not go into any other great detail, but just suffice it to say um, the wickedness that existed there with the worship of Pan and with animals uh, was so sickening. Um, and it was done out in the open uh, for all to see. This place here, Caesarea Philippi, was literally known in the ancient world as the gates of hell, the gates of Hades. This cave opening um, where the water flowed out, where they would make sacrifices to Pan, they literally, it was literally known in the ancient world as the gates to the underworld, where, where these gods uh, that they worshipped, these Greek gods, where all of that emanated from. Um, people would come to dedicate their children, ask for their crops to be blessed. Um, it, a, a lot of sickening things there. But this place, Caesarea Philippi, was the central gathering place of false worship in the Roman Empire and all of the surrounding areas. Now, the disciples 
of Jesus would have felt very uncomfortable coming here. As I said, it was forbidden. It was forbidden by the Jews to even go there. It was wicked. It was evil. It was off limits for them. But Jesus led his disciples here on purpose to communicate to them and to us one of the most powerful truths of all time. So now that we have this backstory, I want us to read the text. Matthew chapter 16, uh, beginning down in verse 13. The word of the Lord. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? What's the word on the street, in essence, what he's saying? What, what's, what's going around? Who are people saying that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? You see, Jesus is wanting to know what, what everybody else is saying. What, what's, what's the rumor mill? Who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, or one of the prophets, Elijah, Jeremiah. Okay, but he, he looks at his disciples and he says, all right, but who do you, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Peter's great confession. And you know what, guys? That, that's a question that every one of us has got to answer. What does the world say about Jesus? What does the world say about God? Is there a God? Is Jesus who he says he was? The world has got a lot of things to offer, but the question comes really to each one of us. Who do you say Jesus is? And how you answer that will go a long way determining how you're going to live. This is what Peter answered. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. That's Peter. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. So Jesus asks his disciples, Who does everybody say that I am? Well, they say this, 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 and this. But who do you who do you say that I am? And Peter, never one who's very shy, he jumps in and he says, you are the Christ. You're the, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Simon, you are blessed. But you didn't get that off the street. You didn't pick that up from somebody else. He said, that was a direct divine revelation by my Father in heaven. You see, I'm not, even, I'm not even sure Peter fully understood what he, what he was saying. And I think that's borne out as, as time goes on, as we see the disciples not understanding what Jesus was here to do. 
But in that moment, he didn't stutter. He didn't hesitate. He said, you're the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're exactly right. You didn't get that anywhere else. That was a direct divine revelation from my Father in heaven. So Jesus is, in just saying that, Jesus is setting himself up as what? The Son of God. He said, That's, that came to you from my Father, my Father in heaven, making him the Son of God. And then he says this, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of Hades will not prevail against my church. You see, oftentimes I think people have misunderstood because Peter, his name, Petros, uh, means rock. The, the Greek word for rock is Petra. Sounds a lot like Petros. And so they say, well, Peter is, Peter is the beginning of the church. That's why he was the first pope. Uh, in the church. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says, who do people say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, on the rock of what you just said, that I am the Christ, the chief cornerstone, the foundation of all of this, I'm going to build my church. But, but don't let this be lost on you, okay? The reason he brings them to Caesarea Philippi, he's showing all of this idol worship, this pagan, uh, evil, wicked things, this huge rock that uh, idols carved, you know, sitting in all these spots in the, in the rock, a place that's forbidden by the Jews. He says, Peter, you're right. I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I am going to build my church on this rock, the rock that, that is that I am the Christ. But also, I'm going to drop my church right in the midst of this wickedness. Are you with me? I'm going to build my church on this rock, and the, even the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Now, if you know anything about ancient cities, they would, they would try to build a city in, in a place that was easily, um, easily defended, right? You, you wouldn't want to build your city, you know, down in a valley where, where enemy troops could come in and, you know, just take shots at you very easily. So oftentimes they would build um, on, a, on a hill or uh, on a mountain. Jerusalem was an elevated place. They would build a city there, and then what would they do? Build a wall around that city. That wall was for protection, to be able to defend themselves against, uh, against enemies. Well, if you had a wall, what did you have to do? You have to have a gate, sometimes multiple gates, uh, built into that wall so that people could get into the city and that people in the city could get out of the city, right? It just makes sense. Uh, you wouldn't have everything that you needed within your city, so the, the city gates would be opened in the morning time to let people come in, to let um, people sell their wares, to bring in food for the local salesman to come in and peddle his, his merchandise. And then those gates would be shut and they'd be locked in the evening time so that 
They could defend themselves against any enemies, okay? That's the way the ancient cities would work. So the weakest part of a wall that was guarding the city would be what? The gates. The weakest part of that city would be a gate. When somebody comes over to visit you, uh, do they just try to break through the brick wall and come into your house? Is that how they get in? Well, I hope not. Where do they come in? Come in through the door, right? They could climb in a window, I guess, but that's not how we typically enter into our friend's house. We come in to the, by the door. That's what, that's what a city had. When built into the gates of that ancient city were these um, the walls of that city were these gates where people would come in, people would go out. And so if there was um, um, an enemy of yours, an enemy of that city, the first place that they would attack would be the weak link, and that would be the gate of the city. So hear me when I say this. Listen to what the Word of God says. Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and not even the gates of hell can stand against it. So what does that say to you about the church? Should the church be on the, the defensive, or is the church to be on the offensive? What does it sound like to you? It sounds like you should be on the offense, right? Because not even the gates of hell is going to be able to stand against the church. All too often, guys, oh my goodness, all too often, growing up, I think I had the mentality that, that church is a place that we come to sort of as a refuge from the world. And, and, and don't get me wrong, uh, the church should be a refuge from the world. I mean, we come here this morning to love each other, to sing songs about God. It's almost like we can just, you know, relax and let our hair down or, or take our hair off and, and, and just be ourselves, you know, with each other. Because you go out into the world, and, and, and it'll just beat you up sometimes. I mean, let's just be honest. It's hard out there. But I think we've gotten this mentality, I know I had growing up, that the church is where we kind of come and we hunker down. And we, and we come here and we insulate ourselves from the world. And we say, oh, preacher, fill my cup so I can just, make it through another week so I can go out there and, and just make it so I can, you know, come back and drag beaten and bloodied and come back in here next Sunday so we can hunker down with each other. And we've seen church as a place where we're like fending off the darts of the evil one so we can make it through another week. Don't get me wrong. Church is about loving each other, coming together hiding away at times, a safe harbor for our ships to dock and just, you know, relax and exhale and just be in the presence of the Lord and to sing his praises, to gather around his It's all of that. Don't get me wrong. But we have lost the mentality that we are to be on the offensive. That's why we're talking on Wednesday nights in our Four Fields discipleship training. We're training uh, about putting on the armor, not so we can just defend ourselves, but so that we can be equipped to go out and to snatch people off of Satan's lap, to 
to storm the gates of hell because the gates of hell cannot stand against the church. Do we believe that? Do we understand it? John said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Did he not? Greater is he that is in us. Who is in me? The Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of Christ dwells within me. When I go out there, I'm not alone. I'm not fighting a battle by myself. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We don't wage a war with physical um, weapons. Y'all throw it out at me if, I, if, I'm, if I'm stumbling. Y'all throw it out at me. Give me the word I'm, I'm looking for. Use your words, Rodney. Use your words. We don't wage war with, with weapons that the world uses. We're in a spiritual battle. But guess what? I've got the Holy Spirit in me. So I, I've got everything I need. I've got everything I need. So the church is a place we come uh, to relax and, and to bathe in the knowledge that we are sons and daughters of the King. But it's not a place to hide. It's not a place, you know, to, to hunker down and, and say, oh, I just got to hide away from the world so I can make it another week. No, we are, we're, we're to encourage one another to build each other up so that we can go back into the world and to take ter territory back for God. Satan has claimed too much territory. See, he's got way too much territory, and God is calling those of us who put our faith in Jesus to go back into that brokenness, to go back into that broken world and to be equipped, to be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have so that we can literally snatch someone off of Satan's lap, out of the gates of hell, transfer them back into the kingdom of the sun, the kingdom of light, out of darkness into his wonderful light. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. On that rock, I'm going to build my church. You know, we, we, we just, we moan and we wring our hands and we say, oh, it's worse now than it's ever been. And believe you me, it's, it's getting bad. I mean, look around our society. There, there's no doubt that things are not the same when you were a kid, when I was a kid. In a lot of ways, it seems like things are getting worse. But do you think it was... Do you think it's any worse now than it was at Caesarea Philippi? I'm talking wickedness, evil, stuff that I'm not even going to say to you this morning that people were doing out in front of God and everybody. I'm talking wicked, evil, detestable. And Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell, literally, he's standing in front of what was known as the gates of the underworld, the gates of hell. He says, the gates of hell can't stand against my church. Not because of us, not because we're powerful, not because we have anything to offer, but because of Jesus, because of his power, because of his Holy Spirit that's at work within us. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to, to shrink back from the world. We've got God with us. The 
Holy Spirit. Jesus said even the gates of hell could not stand against his church. We just sang, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Remember the chorus? On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Jesus Christ, the rock on which his church is built, and the gates of hell, they don't stand a chance against us. But what we've got to do is mobilize. I am so, I am so pumped up, guys, you don't even know how excited I am. I've had several of you uh, come up and, and, and share with me some things after our Wednesday night class about somebody you're talking to, somebody that you're praying about, and uh, just so happy that we're being equipped and we have some of these tools that, we, that we're going to put into use. You don't know how excited I am knowing full well that God is going to bless us with souls, that God is going to give us people, people that you know that are close to you but far from God. He is, he's already working in their hearts and in their minds to bring them. And he's going to use you as that, as that mouthpiece, as that conduit, the Holy Spirit flowing through you. And you're like, Rodney, I'm scared to death. And I know you are. I know you are. It's, it's, I don't know why, but, but it's scary sometimes, all the time, to share our faith. We're so afraid, afraid of what we're going to look like, afraid of how we're going to be perceived. He's a Jesus fanatic, or he's one of those, he's one of those, you know, or whoever those are. We're so afraid, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is going to enable you, give you the opportunity at just the right moment. I don't know when that is. I don't know when that's going to be, next week or next month, but God's going to orchestrate it because you're praying about it. You're praying about it. You're praying about him. You're praying about her. God is going to bring it about, and by the power of his Spirit, he's going to use you to speak a word for Jesus. And somebody is going to say yes. Somebody's going to put their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus because of your effort. The gates of hell can't stand against that. The gates of hell cannot stand against the church because the church is waging war by the power of the Holy Spirit. I know you wanted to say amen, but you just did, you know, it was kind of awkward. Jesus Christ, the rock on which we stand. Our hope is in nothing else and nothing less. And because of that, we're redeemed. We're, we're a people that have been redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, how I love to proclaim it. We're going to sing, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. If we can help you this morning, if you need prayers, we always have a shepherd up front. I'm up, I'll be up here. We always have a, a shepherd in the back. If you don't want to come up front and you'd like to go to the back and just uh, share what's on your heart, we would love to pray about it. 